welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zaro-Papinski, and today my guest is Jamie Brenner, author of Guilt, a luxurious and richly compelling novel about a famous family jewelry dynasty and the hidden past that could topple it all. Jamie Brenner is the author of six novels, including Blush and The Forever Summer. She grew up in suburban Philadelphia on a steady diet of Jackie Collins and Judith Krantz novels, and later moved to New York City to live like the heroines of her favorite books. Jamie now divides her time between Philadelphia and Provincetown. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you so much for being here, and congrats on the new book. Thank you so much, Laura. Thanks for having me. Yes, um, your books are the perfect companions for, you know, a summer day at the beach or to bring on vacation. Um, and in this one, I just loved getting swept away to Provincetown and kind of diving into this family drama. Um, so for listeners who haven't gotten to pick up the book yet, could you tell us a little bit more about Guilt and these characters and kind of what they're facing? Sure. So Guilt is the story of a family, the Pavlin family, who made their fortune selling diamond engagement rings. They essentially were the first to package diamonds as something crucial to engagement. They essentially packaged the whole idea of diamonds and love. Um, And yet all three sisters in the family have been tragically unlucky in love. And when the book begins, this sort of cast out granddaughter who's been separated from the fold returns to the family looking to reclaim what she believes to be her birthright, this priceless pink diamond called the electric rose. Um, but actually as a budding jewelry designer, what she really wants is to reclaim her, her place in the dynasty. Um, and it unfolds over the course of one summer and this young woman named Gemma draws her aunts out uh, and they all meet on Cape Cod and they sort of revisit the secrets of the past. I love that. And, you know, I've read um, a few of your other books and I, I read in an interview with you that you kind of really see Provincetown as a character in your books. And it definitely is in this one. I'd love to hear um, a little bit more about that and kind of how you approach bringing um, the setting to life as a writer and why maybe you think it makes such a good setting for your books? Sure. I, when I was writing my book, The Forever Summer, which was my first sort of beach summary read that came out in 2017, I was like looking for a place that would be, you know, special, you know, a good setting for a family to deal with secrets and crises and just a huge life-changing summer. And I saw a segment on the CBS Sunday morning show about Provincetown, which is the very, very tip of Cape Cod. Like if you reach Cape Cod, you still have two hours to go before you hit Provincetown. And I saw this TV segment and I thought this place looks really, really interesting, probably too good to be true, but I'm going to go check it out, see if it works for a novel. And I went there and it was the rare time where something was better than advertised. You know, I just immediately felt the, pl- I mean, the place is physically beautiful. It, it's one of the country's oldest art colonies and it seems to attract people who are artistic, very open-minded, um, curious about life and, sometimes looking for reinvention. And I just feel very free there. 
So I had intended to set just the forever summer in Provincetown. And yet I find myself coming back to it again and again, because it really is, you know, a character unto itself. It has so much history. Um, and it's, it's just every day is different. And for a creative person, you know, there's always someone new to talk to, or there's always some little new um, artist displaying work. It's just a place of discovery, self-discovery and discovery of place. And now you split your time there as well. So do you do most of your writing there or kind of how does that work out? Well, I, when I was writing Guilt, I really hadn't intended to set it in Provincetown, but the book, I was writing this novel in the summer of 2020, which was right when the pandemic first hit. And I left New York City after 25 years, and my husband and I moved to Provincetown, basically indefinitely, not sure where things were going to go with the world. And basically that moment in time answered our uh, age-old question, if you felt like the world was coming to an end, where would you want to live? And (laughs) our answer was Provincetown. So I was living there, so it was natural for me to set the book there. If I could, I would spend more than half my time there. But we have children, you know, in various colleges and all over, and it's just too far to spend all of our time there. So we're like a little more centrally located now, uh, in Philadelphia, but we go as often as we can. And I actually like Provincetown in the off season, like late spring or early fall, because I mean, the weather is beautiful then, and it's just a little less crowded. Like you could have more time with the local people and have more of the street and the shops and the restaurant to yourself. So that's my, my go-to time. But I did write the entire book while I was living there. Oh, that's nice. I'm sure you could kind of immerse yourself in it all then. Um, Well, you know, I was wondering too, I thought the whole um, kind of luxury jewelry sort of family dynasty aspect was so interesting. And I wondered um, maybe what kind of research you did to kind of familiarize yourself with the jewelry world or, or maybe that was something you already knew a lot about. So I didn't know a lot about, I liked jewelry and Growing up in the 80s, you know, Liz Taylor was sort of the um, set the bar for extravagant jewelry collections. And she was so dominant in pop culture. So my idea of jewelry was always set by sort of like the dynasty model with Joan Collins and Liz Taylor and big jewelry and bigger is better and all that stuff. And then I grew up and I realized that the jewelry that meant the most to me as um, as I made my way in life were the little things that I picked up for myself along the way, like that gave me memories or were given to me by people. Um, and they weren't necessarily the most expensive or most beautiful things. They were just things that were personal. So one day I was at this store in Sag Harbor, New York, called Matriarch, and there was this display of these big charms, like big letters and numbers, gold plated um, with these chunky chains. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And the owner told me, oh, that's the jewelry designer, Lulu Frost. And that's her plaza collection. And what she did was when the Plaza Hotel in New York City, you know, the iconic hotel was being dismantled for renovation, 
Lulu Frost collected all the markings on the doors, like the door fixtures, and she turned those letters and numbers into charms. And I love this idea because, you know, I wear like a big J from this collection. So it's my initial, but it's also a little piece of New York history. And that started me thinking about, you know, why do we wear specific pieces of jewelry and what's really valuable? And how does jewelry tell a story as much as basically a novel tells a story? And that's what set me down this road. Now, usually with books, I always like to interview people and learn hands-on When I wrote Blush, I spent tons of time at a vineyard out on the North Fork, and I had every intention of doing this for guilt. I contacted Lulu Frost. I met her in the city. She agreed to let me watch her in the studio. It was all set, and then the city shut down, and I was left without being able to do any in-person research. But luckily, I found an extremely helpful nonfiction book called Stoned, Jewelry Obsession and How Desire Shapes the World by a woman named Aja Radin. And this basically gave me the the fundamentals and some really just like imaginative trigger points to start writing the novel. That's so interesting. I was just speaking with um, Julia Kelly, who wrote The Last Dance of the Debutante, and she was saying how that book was also written during the pandemic and she had all these plans of in-person research that got sidelined by the pandemic, but I'm so um, just amazed by how authors were just able to um, pivot and, and make it work and still, um, you know, produce these, these wonderful books, even when you can't maybe go about it your normal way. And, and that was going to be one of my other questions. Your um, pace of producing books has been, um, amazing. I think I had written down, you've had seven books since 2016, which is yes. wild. And so I would love to hear a little bit about that. And even just kind of to backtrack a little, um, kind of what the writing journey was to that first book as well. Sure. So yeah, it is, it's intense publishing a book every year. Um, but I really, I had admired people like Ellen Hildebrand and I really enjoyed knowing, you know, I can look forward to that book every May or June or whatever it was. So I, I wanted to deliver that. And that's what I set out to do. Um, my first, there was my first book, you know, the wedding sisters was not necessarily like a beach book. It was a story about, Um, parents with three grown daughters who all get engaged within weeks and what the stress of that wedding planning did to the family. Um, But then I, and that published in June, which is wedding season. So it kind of made sense. And I really loved publishing a book in that time of year because the weather was great. People are getting their vacation reads. Everyone's hitting the beach. And I just realized you know, I really love summer reading. Like that's the space I'm in. And so my next book was specifically a summer book. And I ended up going to Little Brown, who published one of my favorites, Ellen Hildebrand. And that's where I started on this every year summer track. And I I really can't imagine doing it any other way because now I have the bookstores I love to visit, you know, whether it's Sparta, New Jersey or Bethany Beach or Rehoboth, um, you know, obviously the Cape Cod bookstores, like where the sidewalk ends and, 
East End books in Provincetown. So to me, summer books, writing, it's all like it's inseparable. I love that. And and it is so true. I, I have you on my list now of authors where I look forward to getting to read their, their summer book. And um, it is fun to know you can kind of look forward to that. In terms of um, crafting the book, then I would imagine with the publishing timeline, are you having to kind of imagine yourself on the beach when you're writing and it's really... I don't know, December? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. So I do all my research in the summer and I take lots of, you know, video and photos. And yes, by September, I really have like the world set in my mind and the story set in my mind. So yes, all winter I'm hunkered down writing. And I actually love this because I can mentally be in the summer mindset year round because I sit down every day and I am, I'm in that space writing, you know, characters doing their family thing uh, over the course of the summer. And it's actually not that difficult to, I think it would actually be harder if I was writing summer in the summer, because I actually actually like to go around and do things in the summer and in the with in the winter I'm just home and I can imagine, you know, so it works for me really well. It's not a problem to um, have to be like in a virtual summer space. I like it. I love that. I could see that being a really fun process. And I would imagine, especially this year, um, you know, well, maybe you got to do it a little bit last year, but I'm curious what it has been like to kind of have a real summer book tour again. And if that's, um, kind of a favorite part of the process for you. It's funny because after maybe three books or four books, it was feeling exhausting. You know, like I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I have to do this again. Then all of a sudden my book forever, oh, Summer Longing came out and I couldn't. So this is basically my, Guilt is my third like COVID era novel. So for two summers, I couldn't do anything in person. And I realized how much I missed it, how valuable it is to me, how much I rely on meeting readers in public, in person and hearing their thoughts on things. And now I could not wait to get back. And I did the biggest, like the longest tour I've done so far. I went from Cape Cod all the way to the Outer Banks for guilt. Um, So it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you, I took something for granted and it felt really hard. And then I realized when I lost it, how much I wanted and needed it. And now, you know, I'll never not look forward to this summer tour again. Oh, I'm sure. Have there been any particular um, spots or events that have really stood out to you? Oh, my goodness. I've been so, I mean, this year, well, this year I had a really interesting first time experience, which at my age is getting harder and harder to find the things you've never done before. And for me, it was going to the Outer Banks. And I met up with Christy Woodson Harvey, who has written uh, her Peachtree Bluff series, and more recently, The Wedding Veil. We did events together um, in her hometown of Beaufort, North Carolina. And I met up with Mary Kay Andrews um, in Manteo, North Carolina. And I admire both these women writers so much. So to be in their, um, you know, their hometowns or their towns, their, their area and to be welcomed by them and meet their audience was extremely gratifying and I'm grateful to them. So that was the highlight of my tour so far this summer. You know, it's like 
no matter how many, for me, it's like, this is my seventh book, but there's still so many people to meet and so many places. Like I would go to this luncheon in um, Yadder Banks and a woman would say to me, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I've never read your book before, your books before. And I said, no, that's why I'm here. Like, it, it's my job to like meet, to meet and find people who have no idea about my books. Like that makes me realize I'm doing the right thing. That's so fun. And, and then I'm sure um, for those readers, what a treat, you know, they read maybe guilt and then discover you have all these other books they can go back and read. And um, I'm such a big fan too of Mary Kay Andrews and Christy Winston Harvey, and I've had them on. So that just sounds like a dream to, for all of you to be, to be together and, oh, yeah. and touring. Well, you know, that kind of leads to another question I had, which is the kind of the role of other writers, either in your current process or in your writing journey. Like, have you um, had any like writing mentors or been in a really helpful writing group? Well, I'd say a writing, like having support from fellow writers has never been more important because it's very challenging to publish today. Publishing the industry itself is getting very sort of um you know it's more corporate than ever it's 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 you just need your own ground game so to speak so for me early on one of the first blurbs i got which really made me feel like a real writer and made me feel confident was from ellen hildebrand for the wedding sisters and she's an incredibly generous author I mean, she's her output. She writes, you know, one to two books a year, and yet she's always there to lend a hand or a platform or a blurb to writers who are up and coming. So she was really um, she had a big impact on me and and my career early on. Um, and I have a great group of writer friends, you know, Fiona Davis um, and Susie Orman Schnall and Linda Logman Cohen and Amy Popel. And during the pandemic, in fact, we Zoomed every week and we made videos for each other's releases because we couldn't go to bookstores. And even now, you know, I hate asking for blurbs. It's such an awkward thing, but I always know my friends, you know, I can at least start with my friends and then work out from there. Um, and I don't know what I would do without without other writers, especially, you know, when things are challenging, it's hard to explain to other people who aren't writers because it seems really fun and, you know, like a dream. And in many ways it is, but there's unique challenges that only other writers can understand. So my writer friends, I make a distinction between my writer friends and just my other friends because the writer friends are the ones I can talk to about things that no one else understands. And um, I, I don't know what I would do without that community. It does seem really important to have. Is there maybe, maybe even particular for guilt, was there a part of that book's process that was the most difficult or maybe something that wound up being really different from the finished book that one challenge, and this is for most books is how do you, how do you blend the backstory and the front story? So for guilt, we have uh, this young woman in current day trying to make sense of her family history. And to tell that story, I gave little like flashback sections told from the point of view of her mother and her grandfather and her aunts. Um, so the reader started putting the pieces together before the character even could. 
one of the challenges was how much backstory do you tell? And I know I wrote a lot that I then cut later on. Um, but you know, there's that adage writing is rewriting and, Sometimes we all have to write more than the reader is actually going to use because we need it. And it's always that moment to decide, okay, what did you write for you because you needed it to write the front story? And what does your reader actually need or not need? So that to me is always like a big editing cornerstone. Yes. I recently read and actually interviewed Matt Bell, who wrote Refuse to be Done, all about the revision process. And that's been on my mind a lot. He talks a lot about there's so much that it's not necessarily that you would waste, that it's wasted, all that writing that maybe doesn't wind up in the final book or a character's backstory, but having to kind of cut a lot of that sometimes and just have it be for you, um, which is hard to do, I think. Well, you know, speaking of other writers, too, I would love to hear um, if there are any books that you have been reading lately that you'd want to recommend to listeners. Yes, I am reading. I just read, actually, a book that comes out today, is out today. It's Viola Shipman's new book, The Edge of Summer. And it's a perfect family saga, summer read, you know, take to the beach and escape into it book. So that's my recommendation for today. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Um, well, I would also love to hear, I'm assuming so we're in July now, that maybe you're kind of tossing around ideas for your next book. Maybe you're at that point in the process. Do you kind of know um, what will be next? I do. I'm working on a novel about a woman who created a perfume empire, and she made this scent that's sort of iconic, like Chanel Number no. 5. And when the book starts, she's in her 50s or so, you know, really at the peak of her career. And the book begins, and she's made her fortune because she's a nose, which, which is what they call people in the perfume industry who can create scents. So the book begins, she wakes up the morning of a really important meeting and realizes she's lost her sense of smell. So she, yeah, because I read all these articles during the pandemic about how traumatic it is to lose your sense of smell. And I was thinking, wow, how much more stressful would it be if you actually made your living that way? So that's what gave me the idea um, and what the loss of smell does to this woman, you know, in terms of dealing with it. She turns to her three grown children to see which one of them can sort of step up in her place over the course of the summer at their beach house. And that doesn't go very smoothly. So that's what I'm working on now. Oh, that sounds so fun. And is there any any fun like in-person research you've done for that? Like, I don't even know where they make perfume, but. <laughs> well, it's funny. I, I did, again, you know, I, I wrote this, I've been writing this since last winter and, it, you know, the world still wasn't that open. You know, I mean, this summer it is, but I'm busy touring for a guild. But I did do an event recently and I talked about this new project and a woman in the audience said, oh, I know you know, this great perfume institute in Center City, and here's a contact. So now, even though I'm pretty far into this book, I do have someone to reach out to who works in the field. So I'm going to do that as soon as things quiet down a little bit and sort of, you know, incorporate anything I can get from meeting someone into the book. So it's never too late, you know. I, yeah. I And it's like, it just shows how it made me think, oh, it's so important to keep talking about things and be open to people because you never know when a great lead is going to um, come to you. I think the center, it's called 
Monell Chemical Senses Center, and it's right downtown in Philadelphia. So, oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that. And did you say where where this new one is set? It's it's so funny. I wasn't sure. This is the first time I wasn't sure where I was setting a book, and I just started writing. But I think, and I kind of wrote this placeholder town. Um, but I think it's going to be Shelter Island, New York. Oh, interesting. Well, I'll, I'll definitely look forward to that. And for listeners who um, haven't picked it up yet, I hope they go and um, grab guilt at their local bookstore, bring it on vacation, or they can get it at their local library. And then you have such a um, treasure trove of past titles as well that um, people should grab to put in their beach bag as well, because they're just um, such fun escapes. Um, and just thank you so much for coming on, Jamie. Congratulations you, on guilt. Thank you so much. I look forward to talking again. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. And there you'll also find a link to our new online bookshop. Um, A Bookish Home has teamed up with the new organization bookshop.org, which supports independent bookstores. And if you'd like, you can browse books by authors who have been guests on A Bookish Home. I'm also sharing there all the books mentioned on the podcast, books I've been reading lately, and other recommendations. It's a really wonderful site to browse and look through books. And if you make a purchase, it supports a bookish home and independent bookstores. So it's a win-win. So if you want to check that out directly, it's bookshop.org slash shop slash a bookish home. And you'll also find that at abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.